What is going on, people? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. I've been away for a while, and it's so great to be back with another very special episode. And my guest today is a very special one indeed, and it's, of course, Mr. Dan Cannon, who is a movement director. And it's taken a minute to introduce him. Apologies if I sound a bit out of breath. I just forgot my microphone, and I had to run all the way downstairs to come back and pick it up. So apologies for the slightly breathy introduction I'm about to give. So Dan is an award-winning choreographer, theatre maker and filmmaker with over 18 years of experience in the industry. He has over a decade's experience working with some of the UK's and Ireland's most celebrated theatre companies, <coughs> including Knee High, DV8, Punch Drunk and Fabulous Beast. In 2011, he created his own company, Stillhouse, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot today, alongside working for other major companies as a movement director. Stillhouse creates a visually poetic work that includes dance theatre, film and installation art, which for anyone who doesn't know is an art form that creates pieces of work in a 3D space, putting something inside itself. Is that, is that a right, correct way of saying it, Dan? So you put sort of stuff in the yeah. room with more a three-dimensional look. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Good yeah. stuff. And um, uh, past Stillhouse Productions includes 30 Cecil Street, uh, ours was the Fen Country of Riders and Running Horses and Sessions. Two productions in particular, 30 Cecil Street and ours was the Fen, uh, ours was the Fen Country, have toured across the UK as well as Australia, China, Canada, and throughout Europe. He also regularly works, uh, leads workshops and classes in theatre and dance for, for dance organisations, universities, theatres, and festivals across the world. Other projects he's worked on as a movement director besides Stillhouse include Jane Eyre at the National and Bristol Old Vic, The Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe at the Leeds Playhouse with Elliot Harper, and especially one production in particular, I'm sure we'll talk about a lot today, which was A Monster Calls, which was also at the Bristol Old Vic and transferred to the London Old Vic in July 2018. Dan is also a prolific filmmaker, including doing everything from documentaries, dance films and promotions. So... Wow, is there anything you can't do, man? <laughs> I don't know. I just get bored easily, I think. So I like doing different things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you certainly know how to fill the time in, that's for sure. <laughs> so one thing I like talking about this on this uh, podcast is I'm always interested to know about beginnings of the journey. And, and it's really nice to sort of interview and talk to people at different stages of their journey. So how did yours begin? Where, where did this love for movement come from? Uh, it came from Mrs. Radcliffe uh, in year uh, 10 at Bowell Village College. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, no, it probably came in before that, actually, at the Exton Road uh, Working Man's Club disco. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 the inciting incident in the grand narrative um, was definitely Mrs. Radcliffe. She did a, uh, she did a version of uh, Holst's The Planet Suites, Suite, in which I played Jupiter. Nice. And, and she choreographed me running around the assembly hall with uh, my arms behind my back and my head thrust thrust back um yeah just as the kind of embodiment of joy and uh i loved it man like it was it was it was amazing and looking back it's like the kind of vibe i've been striving for my whole career <laughs> Do you know what I mean? it's like that first high i've been chasing uh, of, of of year 10 yeah um it was effectively dance theater, you know, like it was like proper, you know, she was, she was great. And, and I loved it. So yeah, I got into, I got into theater and drama and music and instruments and all sorts when I was, when I was a kid and, 
really felt the benefit of it and as many kids do and um and sort of became a sort of founding part of, of who I was and I did loads of stuff I did national youth theatre and national music theatre and community theatre and loved musicals back in the day mm-hmm. um still got a lot of that did jazz and tap at the, at the local dance school just lapped it all up because I enjoyed it so much and luckily my parents were, were really supportive of it and uh, could see the benefit it was giving me um and then yeah along the way I went to uni studied drama at Exeter but that had a strong movement focus as well and um and subsequently yeah all of the work regardless of where it finds itself has has kind of balanced yeah this like physical storytelling visual storytelling um and it and it obviously goes into dance as well but it's always with the like yeah human at the center of it and um and and in service of some idea or or narrative kind of loosely sometimes but always yeah some some narrative so yeah good that's that's really interesting I, I always there's like the unspoken kind of massive role of the drama teacher in school I think for a lot of us yeah. you know yeah. they they're the ones who they're, they're different from the rest you know we don't really sort of well some people might do but we don't have the same connection with like our biology teacher mm. or a chemistry teacher or anything like that there's something about that connection there which gives you mm. that energy to go and it might not also be in school but it could also be like after school classes and everything and that's mm. it's a weird kind of unwritten kind of mm. mental role isn't it in a way it's and then, huge it's, yeah. it's huge yeah yeah, it's without Mrs. You know, yeah, without Mrs. Radcliffe, I don't. Do you think you'd be where you are now? <laughs> Maybe I would have found my way. Um, yeah, there were other there were other things, but that was the first, and it opened the gates. Yeah, but I think my mum my mum could see we needed to do stuff. My my sis and I, and and so we tried loads of different stuff. So probably would have found my way, but she's she was instrumental, definitely. Yeah, good stuff. So I think this is a really good time to, I suppose, to jump in quite early. Let's talk about your company which of course is still house mm-hmm. and as i mentioned in the in the intro there it's a it's a company which includes installation arts and it's um three-dimensional uh performance strategy and um it's, it sounds really interesting i can't i can't say that i've been to one so far but mm-hmm. um could you sort of unpick um your role in the company and how you create stuff from a 3d perspective yeah so it's funny we haven't done installation stuff for ages so it's i should probably take that off the website because <laughs> i don't know how representative it is but like um yeah so it's not typical of the company but um but certainly when i was when i was studying drama like we studied at uni we studied loads of different stuff and and the idea that you could yeah be an artist like a performer not a performance we don't have the terminology for it but an artist that worked across across disciplines mm-hmm. um and the, and that you you know so if you take like the two most recent shows i made are if you put them in a theater they would be traditional dance shows with a with a live um, band but essentially quite traditional dance shows some theatrical elements or maybe dance theater but um even though you wouldn't call it an installation we we both of those shows of riders and running horses in session um they're in the round or on th- audience on three sides mm. uh, in unconventional spaces, often outdoors, like car park rooftops or um, the equivalent of like town squares or anywhere where you can kind of um, reinvent and reanimate a space, turn it kind of magical once the sun starts going down. It's always at twilight. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it has an installation quality to it in that uh, immersive is really overused, but like, um, 
but yeah a sense that you are surrounded by it and that um it's a happening something live is happening in front of you you're not uh, removed from it you are somehow as an audience member implicated in it and um and your presence is 100 essential to it it's not just mm -hmm. kind of running over there and you you could be there or you don't have to be there in order for it to happen um uh, so much so that at the end everyone gets up and and it turns more into like a rave so yeah i think yeah we haven't done like strict installation strict definition which would perhaps sit more in an art context art world um but certainly for me i mean working with punch drunk as well all of that site sensitive stuff i i loved back in the day and um has remained you just have a different relationship to the work as an audience member and perhaps a more immediate one or one in which you perhaps feel more invested. It depends, but um, depends on the work, but for dance, you want to be up close for me. You want to, you want to, um, yeah. Which is part of the reason why it's been tough in COVID of course. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, for me, I'm most interested in that kind of up close, seeing the whites of the eyes of the performers, you know, all that kind of stuff. Very nice, very nice. Um, and just on the off charts, were you involved with um, Punch Drunk when they did the Drowned Man? About it was pre Drowned Man. It was this. This is dating me. So uh, the Punch Drunk show I did was Faust, which was at Wapping Wharf in two thousand and five. Wow. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been in the game a while. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was so I didn't even see the Drowned Man. But um, but yeah, it was over like four floors. It was pretty epic. I think it was like one of their breakout ones that it was co-produced by the national and sort yeah. of put, put them on the map for a lot of people that hadn't previously known of them. I'd seen them before. Um, I think called the firebird ball down in oval, I think. And it blew my mind. I was just like, this is the future of there. This, this is everything. Everything else is shit. <laughs> um, and uh, obviously that's not true. And, um, but, but they have proven, you know, that, that, they've blazed their own trail and there's a huge appetite market for that kind of work. So, yeah. I mean, it was interesting back in the day on Faust, you know, we, uh, there was pre-smartphones, pre-social media 2005. Yeah. So obviously people had mobiles, but like, I'm sure now the culture is quite different in terms of like audience members being able to leak information. I know they have like super fans that like mm. go on Reddit threads or forums and, and say, Oh, you'll get this special experience. Yeah. There was none of that really when, when we were there. So you could audiences were just a bit more naive, I think, which was good for us. Cause you know, there were times where I had to do a quick change and I could literally just leg it and hide from everyone and do my quick change. Whereas yeah. now I'm sure there'd be some stalker that would you know follow my every move if i was in yeah yeah it was kind of wild wild times yeah, yeah. sadly i missed that production but i know i was in i don't mean to say this but i was when i was in doing my a levels at the time yeah, 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 and yeah. Uh, a few people went to see it and i they couldn't speak highly enough of it and there was one yeah. one person in particular spoke of they had this on one floor there was this abandoned caravan and i don't know i don't know why but it was there and yeah. uh, and this guy would just his role was inviting people into the caravan and doing mm. shots of tequila whether it was probably fake obviously but no, it's probably uh, real it was probably or, or possibly real <laughs> if it's punch strong and uh, <laughs> the clues in the title and yeah. uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, and he, he just couldn't speak highly enough of it at all and he was talking about how couples were going in and they were like holding on to each other don't, don't run away from me don't run away from me like, of, and other people are just chasing actors like all the way through the floors yeah yeah, pretty wild yeah pretty it's wild a, pretty wild experience i think very well is that is that sort of your ambition for still house 
terrify the audience not really not really <laughs> but um but certainly uh yeah like i said disrupting that kind of spectator performer role not not you know still respect that role but yes. certainly yeah trying to you know i want to make work that uh you know people that don't think of theater or dance as for them you know what i mean will enjoy mm. um i want to make and and i'm lucky that a lot of people kind of say that like which is great that's the highest compliment for me is when people say i don't normally like theater but i love that or i don't normally like dance because yeah. because it's yeah i like that and making work where you don't need to know the have the keys to the to the gates in order to get through or know all the codes to, in order to understand you know i'm interested in in popular work that can still be sophisticated and and experimental but that but has a popular appeal yeah mm. yeah and that, that's that's pretty good as well and i think one one of your projects, um, A Monster Cause, which we'll talk about in a bit more detail a bit later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I took some members of my family who know to say, I, I saw it three times. I'm going to put it out there. I saw mm-hmm. it. And the third time I took my family and my family are not theatre people or such. They might go mm-hmm. once a year. We might go see the yeah. Canto and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I took them to that. And uh, as you say, your faith, your best compliment you think you can receive is that like someone says, I don't really like theatre, but I love this. And mm-hmm. that, was, that was exactly their reaction as well yeah. they're not theater people but they went to see that and they were like i want to see that again that was yeah and it's still they still talk about it even now it really meant a lot yeah, to, oh, amazing to all of us so but more of that a bit later mm-hmm. um so to sort of talk about movement is essentially i was thinking about this question when i was um, preparing for you to come on mm. is it something that you're born with as such like do you ha- are you born with as i would say a movement brain is or something that sort of comes naturally to you or is it something you've learnt or been interested in and learnt over the years to sort of develop into a movement director so was it did it come naturally or is it something you've had to really it's both to, I think yeah. it, I think it's both I think obviously with anything you you, you might have a, a predisposition to anything um, but you also have to then develop that and hone it so um, but one thing I will say on that is you know I didn't you know obviously didn't train vocationally as a dancer per se and yet i've worked in dance companies and and i'm really hot on you know not to do down dance training because i think it's really important but it's not the be all and end all of what makes someone a dancer or a mover and i use those words interchangeably because i do think there's a lot of like again it's just it's just putting things on pedestals that don't necessarily need to be and and so if I was to say, oh, you're born with it, um, then immediately, you know, you shut the door to the possibility that anyone could move. Do you know what I mean? It's like when people yeah. say, oh, I'm not a dancer. Well, I'm, anyone can move. Do you know what I mean? Like, of course, you can develop that. And, and, and of course, it's important to, yeah, hone those skills, as I did mostly just working on jobs. But, like, you don't want to create a, a weird barrier where it's like i'm a dancer because i did xyz and z and 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 you're not because you haven't and it's this exclusive club um because i'm all for participation i'm all for the joy that you know as we were saying right from the beginning like it's somehow we find it easier for children to um be amateurs or beginners or um but adults absolutely can and and the only limits are really you know those the initial limits and, and inhibiting forces are those you put upon yourself by saying i'm not a dancer i'm not a mover so yeah i think i was lucky enough that like i had some rhythm and um 
and uh, and loved moving. That's equally important. But um, but yeah, I think anyone who who has an interest in it, that's the main thing. You know, that's that's the main thing. And and then just working to develop some of those skills, be it musicality or I don't know what some technical vocabulary around movement or um, sensitivity to emotion or whatever. You know, those are all things you can develop. But yeah, yeah, mm, that's fascinating because. Um, because we sort of have a mutual friend in um, Polly Bennett, who oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who uh, I know worked with you on a Monster Calls, and um, uh, we did, didn't did, work did... together on it, but we've we've kind of um, swum in the same kind of streams. For I'm sorry, my, my bad. I apologise. Yeah, um, and uh, I'm always interested to know, like, because she was involved with the Layman trilogy. It was on at the National, uh, yeah, which yeah. was just a spellbinding show. It was excellent. Mm. Um, I've always wanted to know, like, because she found the movement and musicality, as you say, in the world of finance and the world of money. Mm-hmm. And if you were to sort of say to me, let's, I can't imagine for someone who's mostly an actor, you know, uh, mm-hmm. someone who finds, how do you, I was always curious, how did she find like the movement and the musicality in money anyway, or such a dense subject. So when, mm-hmm. if you're, if you were presented with that sort of bio, and mm-hmm. we need you to find the musicality and the movement in money, when, where do you sort of begin? Do you start looking at videos of Wall Street and then looking at how people move in the in the trading floor and stuff like that and sort of get inspiration from that? Where, 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 what would be the starting point for like a bio of say something like money from a movement perspective? I mean, it totally depends on, on, on the material you're looking at. I think everything you do is in service to the idea and the story. So, yes. so you, you just rinse the source material for anything that lends itself to physicality. Do you know what I mean? And and again, physicality movement can be across the whole spectrum from large scale set pieces of choreography that you could easily, you know, create some sort of gestural choreography around people on the trading floor, which is like super physical, of course, um, to more nuanced character work. Do you know what I mean about how someone holds themselves or what it reveals about their characters? So, you know. It, all of it is just in service to the, the story and the situation. So you just mine that material. And of course it's all a collaboration. So it's not just about you going away and, and kind of coming up with your genius approach that you then um, uh, yeah. imprint on all of your performers, <laughs> you know, the, the shows, everything I've done is devised. And even if I was working on a show that didn't call itself devised, it is because you're, you're, you work as a team and a, as a company and um, yes, some people might have certain areas of expertise and care, but as a movement director, I'm, I'm uh, entirely reliant on the skills and the, and the ideas of the performers I'm working with, obviously the director, anyone who, who yeah. wants to put into the pot. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't just be me going away and, and, yeah, I'd come with some research. But I also know loads of the time, if I've prepped loads of stuff in my head, it's just not going to apply to what's in front of you in the room because you're discovering it together and it changes sometimes yeah. radically. So hopefully in the R and D you can, um, if you've got an R and D, you can ascertain some of the like key visual moments and you can get on a level with the director around the kind of vocabulary and uh, world that you'd like to build physically um, and just play and follow your curiosity and do what excites you most. And if that's, yeah, immediately i'm like yeah if i was doing that i'd want to see like a, a rhythmic gestural choreography of people on a trading floor like immediately that gets me excited but for someone else it might be something entirely different so yeah 
that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, because I, I was because we had I had Stu Goodwin on the show. Um, yeah, who yeah. played who played the monster? Lovely, lovely man. Yeah, um, I, I talked to him a little bit about because I have a bit of a not a bad opinion of of devising in a way, but it's it's something I've definitely struggled with over mm. the years. So we did a devised project for A level and. And mm. we did a lot of devising at university and even some now at drama school. Mm. And uh, it's, I always find that my sort of devising block always just comes from this place of where to start. And, mm. you know, what like, mm. you know, and you throw ideas into the room and quite quickly they get chucked out and stuff like that. Mm. And it's, you don't, you try not to take it personally all this kind of stuff. You think, oh, my ideas are crap. It's like, no, it doesn't, doesn't matter about all that. Mm. Um, so, I always, I always talk to him about having the fun of how to try and find the fun in devising and mm. creating movement and throwing yourself in and making mistakes and stuff like that. Mm. And so if anyone listening who is interested in that, what advice would you sort of give to them to say mm. it's, it's actually not as bad as you think. And it's actually, really yeah. Fun. I mean, it's super interesting hearing that from you. Uh, were you working with a director on any of, in any of those contexts or is it just like a group put together trying to make something? Yeah, for A-Level, it was pretty much all of us just pushed mm. together and going, right, go make a show. Whereas That's it, you tough, know, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we did we did struggle. We, we got there in the end, but there was like, there was a few, uh, just a quick story, Taylor. Mm. Other groups are like, you show what you've got so far and other groups were like a million miles ahead of us and we're going, mm. shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, like, I think... Dude. I think it does a disservice to the act of collaboration and of devising to the the the, the majority of the time uh, like a student's first engagement with it is in those kind of contexts where it feels really high pressure it feels competitive because you're all in different groups yeah. so it's inherently competitive you're wondering who's doing the best and there's no director to hold the space so yeah. you know it becomes a, 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 a it can easily become I should say like a bun fight for whose idea is best and like you say it's built on generosity and trust and that can be very easily eroded. And, and if you're tentatively putting ideas out that are then just road roughshod over by someone with a louder voice, <laughs> you're going to get a really bad impression yeah. of what devising is. And that happens. I've been there and it happened. I've probably been one of the louder voices as well. Do you know <laughs> Back in the day, like being honest. Being I love like, the honesty, like, man. <laughs> yeah, like someone else listening would, you know, would, would potentially say that, but, uh, but, you know, um, <laughs> But, the, it, it, you know, it does a disservice to it because when it, it is tough, but when it goes best and when you have a director like Sally Cookson, who directed Monster Calls and Jane Eyre and mm -hmm. Lion Witch, you know, who is able to hold the space and able to respect everyone's voice in a way that doesn't then cede her own um, power and kind of authority in the room. But it's a generous authority. And it's one, as I say, that, that allows people to have a voice. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone's idea is excellent and ultimately she will she will be the kind of arbiter, but it does it does create a space in which people are welcome to offer in the knowledge that it's an offer. So yeah. that's how we talk about it. You know, yeah. we're making offers and crucially when you're devising. So having someone in that role, I think, is really important. Um, but also just changing one thing at a time. So if you don't know where to start or if you don't know what to do with a particular thing, don't throw it all out. Just follow your curiosity, do something, anything to put it on its feet and then see what comes of that. And then just see what it offers you and what the information you can get from that is. And then just change like one or two things max about it each time so that you can hone it. And it is, I do 
you know, I do think it's like a, a science uh, experiment sometimes where you're just layering it up and you might, you know, you might create a little impro, let's say, or a little or a piece of movement that looks fully formed, but that doesn't really work. But the base layer of it or one particular element of it might be the key to creating a really great scene. You know, uh, let's think. So with Monster Calls, um, you know, how you do the monster is like the biggest question. Yeah. You know, you're reading this book and for anyone unfamiliar with it, um, you know, it's the story of a boy, a teenage boy, Connor, who's um, ha having nightmares. And we then find out his mum is, yeah, suffering from cancer, has cancer. And um and some of the nightmares oh no and then he's visited by a monster yeah. so um which isn't scary to him but who demands that he says um tells him he's got he says the monster says i'm going to tell you three stories and then afterwards you're going to tell me your story your truth the one that you hide yeah. which is like this incredible you know and it's based on a novel but how that and it's and the monster's a yew tree a giant yew tree um comes in the shape of a yew tree how the hell do you do that on a stage do you know what i mean with mm. And of course, with devising, that can be really scary because you're like, oh, my God, we can't possibly do it. And we're trained to think in Hollywood images. So it's like, if only we could, you know, I think uh, not to diss another show, but there was a stage a Broadway version of King Kong that mm. like tried to. Uh, oh, well, excuse the pun, but like tried to ape Hollywood um such a bad pun but it just came into my head so try yeah. to ape hollywood by by like presenting the king kong in this full fully formed massive puppet which left nothing to the imagination mm. and it looked really crap because yeah. you can't compete with film you just can't. can't just make a film if that's what you're going to do yeah. but the one thing you do have is the audience's imagination what you can do is spark their imagination and you can create a fluid image that can that the audience can you pour their imagination into um and and therefore it becomes a collaboration with your audience so you're not just feeding it or spoon feeding it all to them on a plate anyway we're in the r d and um and we're like okay how do we so i'm just trying to make sure i'm making sure i'm giving everyone the right credit as well but um mm -hmm. we're in the r d and we're like okay how do we do the monster and again, Sally's not coming in with all the ideas because she knows that her brain alone isn't as strong as the, the hive mind. She might have some starting points. Uh, we, we, I think somewhere in the R&D, we were like, let's play with some ropes. I think it was Toby Olier, who's an amazing puppetry um, designer and, and director yeah. and runs his own company, who uh, suggested we, um, we bunch some ropes together and play around with that in the form of a tree you know, we, I think Sally already knew that the, the, the monster would have a human form, but, you know, you, you all start chipping into the point where you don't really know who's, you might know who had the initial idea, but of course it passes through so many people's brains and voices that, that it, it takes on a life of its own. And so then as a movement director, I'm like, okay, cool. What can we do with these ropes? And, and how can the ensemble become part of the ropes? And, and suddenly before you know it, you have a really exciting image. Mm. And, and it wasn't born from, you all sitting around scratching your heads going, but how can we do it? You treat those challenges as a, as an exciting opportunity and you relish them because you know that um, if you follow your curiosity and you trust yourself and each other, mm. you will, you will find something really exciting. And, and that's why we do it. Do you know mm. what I mean? To, to solve those kind of difficult 
potentially difficult problems. You know, there's loads of examples of that that, that I found. And I think Sally just instills, even if deep, deep down inside, she might be worried. She just instills <laughs> a confidence with her, with her calmness and her willingness to trust the process yeah. and, and hold her nerve. And the process is one of experimentation and, and following your curiosity. So we yeah. all have to get on good. board with that. Very good, man. That's great. That's yeah. really interesting. Uh, you spoke really well there about just the, the, the keys of finding of not sort of getting lost in this sort of panic and this feeling of like, how, how do we make a monster on stage? You know, we, oh, we've got human beings, we're not making a film and that kind of stuff. Um, just very quickly throwing the, the tree, how you did the tree with the ropes and how you did the monster was stunning. It was beautifully done. And some of the movement sequences around, I remember like the young, the lovers who were running in, in the woods, in the, I think it was the first story. First tale, yeah. And they're sort of sw- like swinging out in the audience and swinging behind the tree and everything. It was just mm-hmm. beautiful, oh, really, really you. good. And um, yeah, and it's it's funny because like and university, we sort of we had did it was so good to have like a a director or tutor in this case in the room to sort of maintaining that mm-hmm. balance in mm-hmm. a way. And and she was very good in saying there is no stupid question, there's no bad ideas. Yeah. Yeah. or anything if you say something and it's not relevant doesn't matter just just move on and mm. one thing i've learned from someone at drama school is just this thing of like instant forgiveness like if something doesn't work mm. and you're thinking oh that was crap no it doesn't matter just forgive mm. yourself and just move on and just keep just keep progressing and what you're doing mm. um so yeah that's great let's let's jump into a monster cause i think that is a i think that's a very good segue into it um how, how did you become involved with the project was it were you just because i know you did jane Eyre just before that mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was it just like a continuation of oh we finished this project um dan mm-hmm. do you want to come on to do this one it's going to be in bristol it's called yeah. amongst the calls are you are you in basically yeah i think we'd uh sally and i'd worked together on at least two or three shows um at that point for over yeah two or three years so um so yeah it was it was uh, and has been a really um fruitful and enjoyable collaboration so um it was just an extension and, and she got me in on some r&ds yeah maybe on the r&d i had only done jane Eyre, so but uh yeah we were developing a a, a language and a, and a way of working together that that made sense to us both and um and i'd she'd mentioned it a while back and i've not i've not heard of it but then i read the book and it's a slayer. I mean, you know yourself. It's just so emotionally um, incredible. You know, just yeah. an incredible book. Yeah, and had me in floods of tears at the end. And yeah. you know, it's a it's a proper work of art, really. Um, mm. And uh, and it's interesting because you know Patrick Ness, the author, who took it up from an idea from Siobhan um, Dowd. Mm. Um, He's best known for like young adult fiction, I think. Mm. Um, and it's interesting. It's similar to theatre in terms of, you know, Sally's best known for working in like family theatre, for theatre mm. for all ages. Mm. Um, and often I think that work doesn't necessarily get the kudos or the respect that, that like uh, work for uh, exclusively an adult audience might get. But yeah, you read that book or, or you hopefully you watch that show and you recognise just real heart and craft um in the, in those works 
Mm. And I say that obviously as someone involved, but also because I'm looking at everyone else involved and, mm. and can see how much work and, and skill has gone into, into it. But yeah, the book was just blew me away. And so really up for being part of it. And yeah, I think we did our first R&D at the Bristol Vic. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it was probably a year or two later, I can't remember, that, that we got cracking on the making. Yeah, there were probably other, I think there might have been some like aerial R&D or, you know, just testing other bits out. But yeah. Um, and when we made Amongst the Calls, I was simultaneously working on Session with Stillhouse, which is like a completely different show <laughs> and certainly the biggest show for Stillhouse that I'd made. It was a lift festival commission. And so for a period of about seven, eight weeks, I was switching hats like twice a week, going from one to another and back again. And looking back, that was like just seriously intense. Seriously yeah. intense. It sounds intense, yeah. But like two of the two shows that I'm like most proud of and look back at the work on and I'm just really, and obviously have had yeah. you know, a lot of impact to different people in different ways, but um, just kind of bonkers that, yeah, sometimes life just, yeah i've never had a period quite as bonkers and stressful and work-wise and uh, fruitful and intense as mm. that period you, you couldn't do it very often you couldn't sustain that level of intensity but um yeah yeah it was great yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah absolutely i mean just you working it sounds like such an amazing time in your life as well you like you had a monster calls and sessions at the same time and mm. i think mm. yeah that, yeah, I think if I was you, I just would absolutely love to just transport myself back to day one of both those shows. I mean, would you want to do that all over again? Do you think? Uh, I don't know shows? if I'd be equal to it. I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to build up to it. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> it's a hell of a strain on like your nervous system and yeah, of course. You know, any making because you're putting yourself out there and, and there's so much to juggle. <laughs> so I don't know if I'd be. I don't know if I'd willingly put. You know, yeah. They say, yeah, you forget, don't you? It's, I mean, I have no idea what childbirth likes. So I really don't want to use this metaphor, but it's, um, <laughs> but people do use it, don't they? Probably people who've never had a child, uh, have never given birth, I should say. Um, but yeah, certainly from what I hear, <laughs> the sense of uh, painful, <laughs> you know, the pain of it, and and you never want to do it again, and then you you start to forget after a few years, and you're like, okay, I mean, it's different for everyone, but yeah. Um, in, in theatre anyway yeah for me there's definitely a sense of like you forget the pain and the struggle of, <laughs> of, of how much work that goes into these shows and yeah. then a few years later you have the bright idea to try and do another one again yeah <laughs> because you've forgotten I feel that I felt the same way after the A-level piece we sort of did it mm. and mm. I was just like oh it's over and then I look and I th- my first reaction was when we finished we only did one showing and I thought, oh, I want to do that again. And that was, that was great fun. I want to do that again. But then, and then about six months later, like being at uni, and then I look back on it and I think to myself, how the hell did we put that together? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. We, there were some days where we would come into the room, same with uni and stuff like that as well. But we'd come into the room and think, I have just no idea what we are going to do. It was like, yeah. how do we build this thing? And I think, it's not until you take a step back you realize just how much work that and how much mm-hmm. stress that well you know stressful because we're just kids in school but you know mm-hmm. but i think from some some someone professional like yourself you know mm-hmm. you you look back and you see the the fun and of course it might get stressful of course but you've you look back and you see all the the fun and the intensity and the work that that went mm-hmm. into it and you think wow didn't really feel that at the time but you know you think wow we actually went there we actually did yeah 
that and yeah you know, that's, sure that's mm. the thing that's the main thing to be proud of yeah uh, for sure. in terms of um your practice like how do you use music very much because i know the yeah. score the score for monster calls by benji bauer was something i mentioned to Stu as well was mm-hmm. breathtaking it was mm. so beautifully done and yeah and yeah. to have that i was were they in the was ben, benji in the rehearsal room with you throughout the whole yeah, most of the process so yeah, yeah he must have yeah. been throwing in stuff as well what's it like working with music in your practice i think you know it's fun to me i know for different choreographers movement like music may play a greater or lesser role but for me it's like the bedrock mm. and it's probably yeah. the along with the story or the idea it's it's up there in terms of the, you know one of the most important things i'm responding to um and benji has worked with sally even way longer than i have you know for like coming up decades now i think <laughs> maybe 15 years um but yeah uh so they know each other inside out and know they have a shorthand in working working methods um and just as a human and as an artist you know benji is just deeply soulful and and heartful and um and is able to just you know put melodies and rhythm together in a way that just can open you right up as a as a listener and as an audience member and crucially again serves the show theater for music is quite a, uh, music for theater is quite a particular thing you know because it's it's serving sometimes it has the spotlight but it's also he's also a master at being able to just play a couple of notes in a yes. scene that you know just punctuate as a as an extra character yeah. in dialogue with the words um so yeah he's incredibly sensitive um smart dude and uh and a joy to work with and just makes it easy as a movement director because she's got this incredible track you know um you don't have to do that much <laughs> <laughs> uh if if the music's doing the heavy lifting um and we know each other well enough to be able again it's back and forth you know uh, if I think back to Jane Eyre, there's this running motif for, for traveling mm. and, yeah. and, you know, he might have some ideas. I might have some ideas, but I can say to him, look, running wise is going to work best at, I don't know, 125, 126 BPM. You know, I get obsessed with BPMs <laughs> or whatever. So is there any way you can, you can adapt what you're doing or come up with a rhythm that can fit that tempo? Mm. Um, because physically I need to be able to, uh, work in in that range so and he's really open to that he's not precious none, none of us are precious um so uh yeah i think there's a good there's a good dialogue where again he's a specialist in music i'm a specialist in movement but it doesn't mean we can't both have ideas about what each other are doing without having to get protective about our respective areas so he's a he's a dude an absolute dude and and um yeah what a, just incredible composer yeah yeah i can't imagine what it must have been like in the room hearing that soundtrack oh, being yeah. born i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I bet, yeah. and there were tracks yeah. that didn't get make the cut you know there were tracks yeah, yeah. really beautiful that you know there was a whole whole lyrical one um when we were young that was maybe too nostalgic too sweet for the show what when we put it all together but you know all of us do work above and beyond what what makes the final cut so mm. yeah yeah, there's one one in particular called "A Walk in the Park," which, oh, yeah. which I think was used for "The Lovers by the Tree" mm. and a few other times throughout. Mm. And mm-hmm. every time that, and I think there's the moment where Connor, when it, Connor's dad comes home from the states to see him, mm. and he goes, "Hey, Connor," picks him up, gives him a hug, oh, and then yeah, that yeah. plays over that. And yeah. every time, I still get 
goosebumps mm. even listening to it because um benji's got a website and all of his music's on there mm. and come check it out guys honestly it's just stunning mm. and um yeah and every time that's i still hear it in my head if we're doing um public shows at drama school soon and mm. uh, part of our audition table had to create a little movement piece mm-hmm. and uh, that was in the background of one of them that particular mm. song and nice. uh, track track or yeah mm. song track mm. mm-hmm. and uh it was just you find like the elegance of it and you know as i'm saying i'm not a movement person but when you get a good music mm. or a track like that somehow the movement suddenly becomes very natural and so you find exactly. yourself just exactly. be- becoming mm. this this thing and uh, i think mm. our our uh mm. muse or kind of inspiration well the only thing they were given in the critic in the audition prep was the river that's mm. all you've got mm. and i don't know why but that song just appeared to me then you find that and i think you have the, the vision like would you describe yourself you have like like a vision in your head of like a certain thing and then you let music sort of guide you through that is, is that another way you like to work as well yeah yeah i think uh, you know because i'm on this because i'm always on this like uh my acts that I'm currently grinding is all about, you know, de-democratizing the room and recognizing everyone's input. And so mm. uh, terms like vision can easily be kind of um, used to in in defense of the sort of genius singular vision of the of the genius director, which I just think is most of the time uh, horseshit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, because everyone, you know, everyone's using everyone's ideas, and again, people have specialisms, but and different levels of responsibility, absolutely. But like, no one's, you know, you don't just see it in your head and and then get everyone to do it. But but yeah, you have imagination. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And you can imagine certain things, and you can imagine fragments. Um, but then the skill of a good anyone in you know any kind of leadership role, but you know with movement direction certainly is is being able to let that go and see what's in front of you and not just bang your head against the wall trying to do what was in your head which i guarantee won't be as good as what the people in front of you can offer Mm. and can you can collaborate on together yeah fantastic so yeah you have nuggets you just have little nuggets you know like little little elements of vocabulary benji plays a rhythm um whatever it is and i'm imagining you know certain certain movements in response to that i might set that just it's a it's a way to start things off with performers and and then i'm watching i'm like okay that's not working with them for whatever reason but then they're doing this and and crucially the performers have freedom to not feel like they have to uh just meet um you know your vision they they can they can make offers and and it makes your job a lot easier too (laughs) absolutely was there was there like a particular moment in rehearsal or during the first few previews where you thought but you'd seen everything pretty much put together you know you weren't Mm going to change anything anymore obviously you continually change things of course the run of course Mm -hmm. but was there a moment where you just sat there and you suddenly realized just how brilliant this work is and how that you guys were creating something really, really special here. Do you ever sit back and think, do you know what? I think we've got something really, really good here. We're working on something pretty spectacular. I mean, I mean, when I read the book, I thought this this will make a great show. Yes. So, you yeah. know, so so before we even got in the room, I was like, this is this is really special source material. Mm. I think obviously you try not to get too high on your own supply in terms of, of like 
um, because that, the minute you do that, you take your eye off the ball and you think you're brilliant and then you put it out to the world and you realise you could have done more or something. Um, mm. But uh, but certainly, I mean, with Sally shows, the tech, you know, it's, everything's always up to the wire. It's pretty safe to say. Maybe on certain shows not, but like generally... I think she's a fan of, you know, previews are there to work through and mm-hmm. it's at press that you've kind of got your show. So press is always quite charged in that regard and, and it's the time where you have to step away. Uh, so I'm, I, I think it was pretty charged at press. But um, I mean, even in previews, you could feel people's responses and, and at the end, everyone's just, you know, sniffling and, and stifling these, you know, sobs <laughs> because yeah. it's so, it touches, so the subject matter touches so many people and, whether you've had direct experience of that or not, you know, um, it, there's, you know, there's a universality to loss and grief and, and especially in the context of this child and what it means to uh, experience that. Um, it's heavy stuff, you know, and, uh, mm. but also somehow cathartic ideally. So, yeah. so I think when we put it in front of an audience and obviously run throughs in the room, we had ridiculously talented group of people. So, you're getting snatches of things throughout rehearsals where you're like, oh my God, that's, you know, that's beautiful. Mm. But again, you don't know because you can, you can, sometimes you need to give yourself that feeling in order to trust what you're doing. Mm. So sometimes on shows you'll, you'll be thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. But again, like it might be that it is great, but that you're kind of hyping that up for yourself to give you the energy to keep going. Do you know mm. what I mean? And yeah. And you never know. And, and, you know, reviewers can be really bloody harsh on something that you've put your heart and soul into, you yeah. know, and that you think is, is amazing and, and, and your, your life's work. And a reviewer comes along for whatever reason, however they are that day or where their sensibilities lie or, you know, just what they think about art in general, whatever, you know, they can savage it. So, you know, and they're not the be all and end all, absolutely not. But of course they have an impact. And, and so... I guess the the ideal is you just do the thing because you love it and uh, and treat it as an an offer you make to an audience and as a gift and hope that they come with you. But nothing's guaranteed. So yes. so then when so then when you see people come with it, yeah, it's it's really great and it's out on tour now. Monster Calls is out on tour now on a remount. It so, is, yes, it is. Um, and I'm I'm getting show reports and uh, and they're saying you know people st- standing ovations and, and people in tears at the end and so on and so forth. An amazing letter, my God, that we got email. Sorry, uh, from an audience member who was a mother of of like I think two or three kids who'd lost their dad to cancer when they were kids, and she brought them along to see it and just how profound it was for them. You know all. We have no idea the, the depths that, yeah. that art can touch people because you put it out there and you have no, you know, you have no idea. So yeah. um, to then get snatches of that is, is really special. The fact that I know it's touched you so much, you went three times and we're having this conversation, you know, is, mm. is, is really meaningful um, because I would never have known unless you got in touch. So, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to add one, another layer to that, if I may, just yeah. the extent of that. Um the third, so first time I went to see it by myself, the second time I took my brother, and again, my brother's also an actor and stuff like that. He, mm-hmm. he had a very, very strong response to it as well. And, mm-hmm. but I suppose the, the biggest one was my mum, his dad, mm-hmm. granddad for me, was sadly diagnosed with lung cancer like a year before the, the show. And he mm-hmm. was, wasn't given very long. And long story short, sadly, it, it did take him. And 
we went to that show i went to that show i saw it and I got the message behind it and everything and i said to my mom look i really want you to, i'm not sure if i really want you to see this show but just as a little trigger warning that it does deal with this type of type of thing and i know what you're going through at the moment and at first she was like okay maybe i won't i won't see it but the battle after i took my brother i said to her look like i say it does deal with this topic but I really, really want you to see it. And also, I think it might help in a way, if you know, it helped to get it, some of that grief or anxiety or sadness out of your system. She went, okay, right, let's go. I said, you uh-huh. sure? She said, yeah, I'll be fine. And at the end of the show, she, like everyone else in tears, she stood up, we applauded. And I think at the start of today, I sort of said, she still, she still talks about it, even now, like myself. And she said, would I see it? I also, would you see it again? I just said, yeah, I would see it again like that and mm-hmm. it's a real testament to how yourself sally and the rest of the company really you created something truly truly special to a lot of people i get a bit emotional now to be honest yeah but, for real. Uh, but yeah. uh yeah honestly man you, sh- you should be so proud of every Thank everything you. that we have I, obviously i wasn't in the rehearsal room so i don't know what mm. i want to see this stuff which got which got put aside and thinking with the like if Sally came up to you one day and said, Dan, look, it's really lovely, but I don't think it's going to fit in the show. So <laughs> I, I want to see all this one. stuff. Yeah. I think most of the movement survived um, or maybe just got shortened, but survived. Um, yeah. The main, the main, we were quite efficient, I think, as devices on that one. But um, main one was, yeah, this, this kind of lyrical song. It's a really beautiful song. I think Benji is on Benji's website still, so you can still hear it when we were young. I think it's... We it did is, a version of it, yeah. So you yeah, can I just it. remember, yeah, it's on. I think the the whole monster playlist is probably, yeah. as you said. Now, what I've learned today is there's probably songs on there which we didn't hear. Yeah, and that's yeah. pretty good that he's managed to sort of share yeah. that, which is amazing. Yeah. Oh, mate, I could seriously talk to you about that show all day, but I don't <laughs> want to bore you so much. That's um, uh, I'm just thinking. Uh, I suppose what you would touch on this. I've got a question written down here. So, how do you create something from? from scratch in a way but I suppose what what advice I'm um, you probably touched on this already but if you get into the rehearsal room and you do have that block that that, yeah. that creative block writer's yeah. block but for movement people yeah uh what's what's the best way to sort of get over it do you just go have a cup of tea do you just go grab some air what do you would what, what, just take five minutes what's the best way to sort of get through that yeah a really great question. Um, I think, and, it, and obviously it's really common. I think, um, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves to deliver as artists from, from the beginning. Do you know yeah. what I mean? To like come up with the genius and we look at stuff we love, you know what I mean? And we go, you know, <laughs> but like that must have just arrived fully formed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And of, of yeah. course it didn't. You know, oh. my, my, my friends... Um, Gemma and Jim, who run a company called Action Hero, they talk about their process like using cheap paint, you know, where you just have to layer it up. Or I used to uh-huh. be more of a foodie, think about like phyllo pastry or something, do you know what I mean? Where it's like, it's just layer upon layer, you know, and yeah. and you you are in the dark and you are groping towards any light that you can find. And occasionally in a process, you happen upon a, 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 a slightly better, well-lit area you know, metaphorically speaking, and you're like, you can see a bit further, but you can never see certainly like the finished thing or, or, or the, the end point until 
press maybe you know yeah. on these shows do you know what i mean like yeah. even with jane Eyre, like we i think the first time we did it we cut half an hour of material to just half an before, hour just before press yeah and it was still like two two parts four and a quarter hours of material or something you know so and then when we remade it we changed it all again do you know what i mean so wow. and and when you remake you have another shot at it so in a way or re remount it i should say so which becomes a remake sometimes hmm. but um but yeah like all i would say is like you know don't be daunted by the pressure that you might put on yourself of like, but other people are doing this and that, do you know what I mean? Mm. And, and that must've just arrived fully formed because even on like these shows that like mean a lot to people, won awards, whatever, we went into the room with that same spirit of play and not knowing. And so yes. anything you can do to get out of your head and into your body and into your playful spirit mm. and into your responsive spirit, be it a game, do you know what I mean? Or some structure that just has certain rules or yeah. throwing a ball around, not just in warm-up, but in, in scenes or in exercises as a way to prize things open, to give yourself some information about the dynamic that's going on. Or impro stuff, do you know what I mean? Like, um, I think you do need things to respond to. So going into a room blank and just being like, what can we create? is tough you know mm. i think you do need things to respond to be it a story or be it an, again an idea or a painting or i mean i think topics can be really hard so if someone said to you you know river mate i would be i would be quaking in my boots because it's like <laughs> where do you go with that it's so broad how do you respond you then have to take on the labor to really narrow that down because sometimes yeah. restriction offers up that freedom so yeah. so then you have to be like okay well what river do you know what i mean and why that river and you know <laughs> and talking about that's those big questions can be really important yeah. but all i would say is don't get too bogged down in the talking because the talking can be a real diversionary tactic yeah. to not expose anything Massive. um to not have to get up and try and risk failure mm. but like failure depending how we define it you know it's such a cliche but like it's how you learn and it's also how you're going to find out it nothing will ever be a failure when you try some stuff out unless it's absolutely awful but you know you have to trust your own skills and your own instincts mm. having you know all wherever you're at in your journey a student doing it for decades everyone has some kind of imposter syndrome do you know what i mean like mm. i've seen it everyone does yeah. and they fear oh my god these people they came fully formed boom 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 no they're in the room going mm. <laughs> you know what to do. What do we, yeah but some people are better at hiding it than others or managing it you know better than others so yes. um and, and the way you and the way you move through that is to just trust yourself and trust that i know enough to get started and and the way i get started is by doing the thing i'm most curious about and most excited about so um, again with monster calls we've got a source material so we have questions we need to answer how do we do the monster what's the dynamic between connor and his grandma or his mom do you know what i mean and so and then when you're then working on those yeah you throw some things in the pot you use what tools you have be it puppets props the actors bodies lighting costume you bring all that in so you've got stuff to play with mm. you're not just you're not just in your own brains and um and you see where it takes you and you try you, and the skill of navigating the and and deciphering the information that you're getting back from these experiments is probably along with like people management is probably the most crucial skill and the one you just develop through practice um 
and certainly for me like I was never in the early days of directing and movement directing I, I wouldn't be as um decisive or as clear as quickly as I am now not to say I shut things down but like I'm able to see more quickly what the information coming back to me is and how to interpret it and where to take it um based on on what you know I think will work and what I'm most excited by whereas in the early days I might look at something and you know that classic thing where some a group does an impro or something and you look at it and you're like yeah it, great and then you're stalling for time because you don't know what to do next <laughs> yeah. you know that just gets easier with practice i think because because yeah. you gain more strategies and you gain you gain more skills to be able to be like okay that's great let's try it now with all of you uh not able to go above one meter <laughs> do you know what i mean you put some restriction on it that mm. says no or let's try it with all of you um you know what it works great so we're going to change one thing and what i'm responding to is you know this sense of um freedom so all of you have to be looking at the sky with your arms back the whole time or whatever it is do you know what mm. i mean These terrible examples but just some restriction that that can open up the essence of what you're looking at and yeah. help to unlock the story and again on that wave again it's a cliche but not being worried about um getting it wrong or failing you just push it so far that again like your definition of failure just evaporates so you make it so ludicrous so big or so that you just get over yourself and you yeah. and you're able to trust each other as a group um and you set you know the culture in the room is the most important thing and the culture of trust and play and putting yourself out there and you know you can talk it people can say no such thing as a bad idea boom boom boom, boom, boom. but unless people really feel that you you know your actions will back up your words yeah. and that you and that you kind of know enough about what you're talking about to hold the space um you're not going to get there so again sally sets the tone she knows she knows how to hold the space she's taught me so much about what it means to value the people in the room and um and to hold the space especially on these these shows yeah. and uh and people respond accordingly so yeah Sorry, that was a really long answer. No, no, do, do not apologise. No, do not apologise, man. Do not apologise. Uh, I just have a couple more questions for you today, if I may, yeah. just if you're okay for time. Um, we've talked a lot about theatre today, and it's really, really, really interesting to hear what you have to say. And I, I don't mean that as like a padding term or anything. I'm genuinely really inspired by your experiences, particularly on this show of Amongst the Calls. Um, I touched on also, I want to touch on your experience working in film at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a filming experience recently where we had to create short films as part of our mm -hmm. drama school sort of MA. Uh, I enjoyed the filming, but I found editing to be just be particularly tricky at times because they're not only for just the software, but choosing the right shot, choosing the right look, you know, do we, do we use the close up on this one? Do we go for a wide shot here? Mm -hmm. It was, and in collaboration with others and it was just like, oh my goodness, like mm -hmm. how, and then I look at big films like an Indiana Jones or a, or a Star Wars and I think, or any kind of big motion picture, and I or even short films, and I think how editing process. Phew, like, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, what's what's your experience of of working in films and editing your own stuff? I love it. Love it. <laughs> I love it. I Other love the, the control. <laughs> I love the control, but I also love the um, the dramaturgy of it and the shaping of of an experience. And you know, it's it's relatively new to me now to be doing it as intensively as I am at the moment. It's taking up mo most of my time filming and editing across a range of, you know, projects and 
and uh, needs. But yeah, how you tell a story, how you work with montage, how you work with rhythm, you know, it all translates, you know, mm. and, and it's the same stuff, but just with new skills and, and a different expression. So I'm loving um, learning and and um and feeling like i know enough to get cracking but um but also like there's a whole new world to, to yeah. open up and so um, i love it and the editing can get tiresome but yeah just i think just think think i have a brain that yeah like dramaturgically just works in that way of just like well if i put that with that then that will open up that and and it needn't be linear or um or kind of you know I can edit in terms of tone and rhythm and atmosphere as much as, you know, continuity and, and story beats. And I enjoy that, you know, I enjoy, yeah. I enjoy being able to apply that. So yeah, I love it, man. And, um, and I'm curious to see where it might lead for, for me, you know, in terms of other collaborations and, and, and work, you know, it feels, again, it feels like a nice, a nice new um, hill to climb. Yeah. Really cool. I mean, mm. I wish I had your enthusiasm for, for the <laughs> editing process, but only the first time. I'm sure I probably will do it again at some point and be a lot more relaxed about it now. Um, what's what's your obviously you're sort of discovering this now, but what's mm. the best way of telling a visual story and not getting too bogged down with dialogue in a way? Because obviously, when you go to a play, or mm. you know, you want it's dialogue driven whereas with theater with the film sorry it's all about creating that visual story so where do you find the balance between a picturesque shot or a shot of a conversation and the words intertwining with that uh i think it depends on the material again and yeah. it depends on depends on the script if you're working to a script i mean there's loads of thoughts that come from that so um Yes, traditionally, absolutely, plays, and especially in this country, are weighted towards the spoken word. But mm -hmm. then increasingly in theatre, you see the role of movement directors increasing. And um, certainly in Europe, um, visual storytelling and kind of not being slave to the words in theatre uh, has been really prominent. And I've been really inspired over the years in theatre by, by European makers who might come from a dance background or might not but yeah. but somehow movement is you know as important and visual storytelling or visual work is as important so you know i think it just to just to flag that yeah culturally in this country probably as a legacy of shakespeare the word is 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 um often the, the thing you are serving but um yeah i think there's so much riches to be had from and again, because as audience members and then in film as viewers, you know, we need we need enough to um, be able to fill in the picture. And now in film, I'm really curious again of like, what's what's the what's the least I have to give or maybe not the least, but what do I have to give in order for an audience to be with me and to come on my journey? Mm -hmm. but, but where there's enough space for them to fill in the blanks, you know, and again, that could be on a plot point, but it could be on, on an emotive level. And to and in doing so to bring more of themselves to it. So I guess, yeah, that would be an interesting question going forward, where film does visually there's more in the picture, but how do you how do you remain, you know, it, be it through your choice of framing or you know, how do you how do you keep the audience in a state of um collaborator, yeah, and and invested in you know asking questions. Mm. So yeah, 
that's 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 interesting to me but i think people like you know cohen brothers they're 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 if we're talking like film film they're just incredible because they yeah. they write these incredible characters um who and their wordplay is like next level but i'd also think you know you watch something like no country for old men and like mm. the visual storytelling i remember there's a sequence in a motel with javier bardem's character i forget his name sugar is it yeah um with his cow bloody gun whatever and visually, you know, the, the shadow under the crack in the doorway. Do you know what I mean? The sound, the little rumble in the wall, all that kind of stuff. That's what we remember most. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. From from films. We might not remember the intricacies of a plot unless it unless it speaks to us personally. At least me, I'm really visual. So I'll, I'll remember, I'll be able to remember that shot for decades. And then 20 years, maybe not tell you the intricacies of the plot or quite some heist or some you know but like visually that's what we you know we are we are really visual creatures so mm. yeah i'm really excited by you know yeah those really really striking images in a world where we're saturated by images mm. i think the the what can what can be the difference is yeah something that's visually novel or striking but also that um is tied to some kind of deep emotions and poetry and 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 sense of yeah humanity to it yeah it's quite a waffling answer but yeah no it's great it's a great answer mate. it's really good that's really fascinating um yeah mm. i'd love to sort of see how it grows in a way it's almost like less mm. is more like we we love a good dialogue we all love a good tarantino dialogue like the beginning mm. of inglorious bastards for example but as you say, it's that image in No Country for All Men, which we remember for, for and, a long time. And yeah. again, the bedrock to those dialogue, to those scenes are the atmosphere and the tone and the mood and the light and the quality of, you know, the smoke or whatever it is. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Those, those are the things that enable the word to shine, you know. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of examples of films that try to rip that off that have not got an inch of the tone or the style um that try that the you know of course the writing's great but like i really feel like it's you know the world is the bedrock to to um to that stuff we get if you if you only focus on the words and, and the script on the page you, you you're not you know you're not using all the tools you've got in your palette in theater and in film so yeah in your box yeah massively yeah awesome man this has been so much fun i just have one final question before you mm -hmm. read today and mm -hmm. to sort of to top everything off today um in your opinion what can movement do that words mm -hmm. can't do you think great question great question i love it because i ask it myself all the time mm. so that i'm not just doubling up on you know if something it works with words better do it with words yeah you know words have more nuance um as fallible as language is, words are, I would say, well, I don't know, it depends, but sometimes they're able to be more nuanced than uh, in terms of storytelling, let's say, than, um, than physicality, potentially. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning myself the whole time because, because that might not be true, but in general, perhaps. And, um, Go for it, Max. Go for it. Uh, but, but what I find that movement can offer is, you know, an access to the unconscious and access to the uh, to desire to, um, oh, mate, I need to have this tattooed on my bloody arm because <laughs> I, I always forget. So Fiona Shaw. Yeah, that's right. The actress. I remember her writing about the value of poetry mm. and, and she I need to dig this quote out, man, because anytime i think about it and i don't even have it to hand so That's if you find it mm. yeah i'm sure poetry but anyway she spoke about like 
yeah, the how it how it um, reveals like the you know the the unconscious, the erotic, the the angry, the you yeah. know the passionate, all of these like strong driver animal animalistic, you yeah. know uh, facets of what it means to be human. That words can get to, but I think you know movement can absolutely get there because mm. you know we you know we we see it and we feel it and and um and it is there's a poetry to it that you know is ancient really and and that transcends the rational you know at its heart this sounds super pretentious but I really believe it I really believe it you know ritualist ritual and you know uh the role of movement and music within you know tribal societies yes. historically as well and and being able to access parts of ourselves that that um that transcend the the obvious and the everyday and the rational i really believe and again in this country we're, we're skeptical of that because yeah you know of our of our again we, we we like to give the word the primacy and also you know because of religion having like it's a thing to be feared you know um yeah the pagan <laughs> so like for me yeah movement movement can absolutely open up worlds and can lead to transformative transformative experiences for both the doer and the and the person witnessing it um and at, and, and at it's kind of you know highest art form that for me is when is when movement is best is when is when it's transformative and you know you get get transformed getting tired do you know what I mean? I get transformed playing basketball. Do you know what I mean? It, it needn't be this grand, you know, it can also just be a physical transformation. Absolutely. Mm. The, the, the is obviously then tied to an emotional and a, and a psychological one. But yeah, for me, movement, you know, it just opens up uh, a lot of avenues in which it's less, it can be less mediated by a rational brain that, that has to conform to uh, societal norms or, um, ideas of how we think we should be or behave and and again that's where some of the most creative ideas across any industry come from that's why i say get out of your head and into your body because mm. you know uh, you we learn through play and through uh figuring out what um uh, in through you know what we didn't know was possible we figure out by you know you're not going to get to an unknown place by rationally trying to plan it out you can find the unknown and the creative and the spontaneous mm. uh, through through being in your body. So, yeah, do good warm ups before every session. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Don't just jump straight in. You might pull something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. So many times I've been leading warm ups and directors like either joining in or on the side watching it. And immediately they're like, this gives me a great idea for this scene mm. because because they can see it and and it and you can see the relief in them when they see it because they're like oh phew I don't have to just design this great you know scene in my head yes. it's impossible it's impossible we you know we need to we need to change our molecular you know molecules and and then something else will come yeah yeah just do some shakes and the ideas yeah come. totally man totally <laughs> and you know I know sorry I'm not going to go on and on because you know no, I've no, been I've been right. in loads of different experiences where that kind of talk, right, yeah. <laughs> around ritual and transformation and let's say like going beyond and, you know, can lead to uh, like abuses of power or, mm. you know, if you're, if you're then becoming like a slave to serving that experience or that the addictiveness of like, you know, um, 
the high you might get from yeah transform transform transformative physical experiences like it's you know that can be a trap as much as like let's say just being stuck in your head so i'm not trying to romanticize it mm. but i but i also know the power of um of yeah of play of serious play let's say you know serious play play in which you are light and you're you know you're still in control and you're still you're still in the room uh, but you're but you're committed to yeah some kind of some kind of transformation yeah mm. Words don't what, I can't, what you can't put into words the difference that between movement and words because mm. uh, words aren't enough. <laughs> <laughs> As they say, actions speak louder than words. So yeah, <laughs> it's all about the word, the words, the mu- the mu- movement. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. feel it. You know it when you feel it. Oh, yeah. you know it when you see it. Yeah, when people say I'm lost for words, like you can't, mm-hmm. yeah, can't describe anything other than. In fact, yeah. I think there's a beautiful moment in A Monster Calls where one of the characters says, I'm about to, uh, Connor's being bullied in school mm. and the sort of lead bully comes up to him and says, but well, you know, because you, know, you saw the show. But, uh, and he said, he's like, I'm about to do something like the most, I can't remember oh, yeah. what, yeah, the yeah, most yeah. Like, outrageous thing I can possibly do, like yeah, perspective. Yeah. And all he did was hold out his hand and he mm. shook Connor's hand. Mm-hmm. and that was I mean, even my brother picked up on that as well and said mm-hmm. that was just one of those moments where you think just that simple movement of shaking someone's hand from a bully to the victim mm-hmm. and just creates so much and you're like wow wow when when you then, have, yeah and that's a pact that they're making uh, connor doesn't know it that is then harry ignoring him and treating him as if he's invisible mm-hmm. you know and, and that act in, in itself as well it's like yeah, the thing that will hurt him most is to is to ignore him. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's saying goodbye, it's shaking hands. Sound, you're invisible to me from now on. Yeah. You're invisible to me. Yeah. This is harsh, so harsh. Yeah, kids can be shit. Can't they just? Oh, mate, this has been honestly so much fun, man. I've learned mm. so much, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about everything from your love and your passion for this, and. Mm it's so good i love talking about that show in particular and you know spoken to Stu and now yourself about it people who were there in the room and just yeah it's just this has been amazing thank you so much for all your time My pleasure dude and good stuff yeah this this has been a very very special episode i have to say and thank you so much for that um if you just I'm, if you just hold on after i finish the recording i'll say goodbye to you one-to-one but yes guys thank you so much for tuning back in this has been the uncensored critic uh drop a like subscribe to you on apple spotify google podcasts and yes i will be back very soon so thank you so much dan my pleasure thank you